count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. I remember singing that hymn growing up in church. And it is a good song to sing. It's important to count your blessings. But what I want to address with you this morning from God's word is what happens next. After you count your blessings and recognize that you are a blessed person, how do you handle those blessings? What do you do with those blessings? Well, we'll see a good answer to that in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So turn there with me in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 1, as we continue our study through this Old Testament book, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 20. The title of my sermon this morning is, How to Handle Your Blessings. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. The Bible says, It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I've asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has Given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this time together, this time to gather and to fellowship and to learn from your word. I pray that you would draw near to us, that you would help us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see the timeless truths of Scripture. We just want to say that we love you, and uh, we ask you to move with power uh, in our midst. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. Establish my footsteps in your word, for we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we saw that the setting of the book of 1 Samuel is at the end of the period of the Judges, a time of great spiritual darkness for the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, the last verse in the book of Judges says, that every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was total rebellion, total wickedness, uh, total uh, iniquity had spread throughout the land, and it was a time of great spiritual darkness. But 1 Samuel is going to show us that God was intervening to do something great. He was going to lead his people out of great spiritual darkness into spiritual light. And he was going to raise up a leader uh, for that purpose. And that's where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We find ourselves 
learning from the life of Hannah. Hannah was a woman who was unable to have children, but she prayed for a son, and God gave her a son. And that's where we pick up our story this morning. And so, God answers Hannah's prayer. He blesses her with a son. Now, I want you to see how Hannah handles that blessing, what Hannah does with that blessing next. And we're going to learn a great deal from her. So, here's the question. What should you do with your blessings? Number one, you should recognize the source of your blessings. Recognize the source of your blessings. Look what uh, the Bible says in verse 20. Verse 20 says, It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived, remember she prayed for her son, that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I've asked him of the Lord. There's a root in that name Samuel that cares with the idea of asking God for something. She said, I'm going to name him Samuel in recognition that I've asked God for a son and he has given me a son. So do you see that Hannah recognizes this son is a direct gift from God? Look what it says in verse 27. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition. He's answered my prayer, which I asked him, so I've dedicated him to the Lord. So she says, I asked God for a son. Wasn't able to have children, but I asked God. God gave me a son. He answered my petition. She recognized that Samuel was a gift from God, that Samuel was a blessing from God. Now, that's important to realize. We need to realize the same thing Hannah realized, that every gift in our lives, every blessing in our life, everything God does for you and in you is from His sovereign hand. Matter of fact, James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Look what happens in verse 24 of of this passage. It says, when she had weaned him, her son Samuel, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. So they go up to worship in Shiloh. That's where the, the Ark of the Covenant was at this time. That's where the high priest was. And they come to worship. They bring a, a bull as a sacrifice, as a sacrificial animal. Now, it's highly significant that she brings the bull. So why is that significant? Because in the book of Leviticus, we find the the prescribed offering when you come to dedicate your child. In the book of Leviticus, the Bible says, when you come to dedicate your child before the Lord, you could bring a lamb or a pigeon or a turtle dove. That was the prescribed offering. But Hannah brings something much more valuable than a lamb and more valuable than a pigeon and more valuable than a turtle dove. She brings a three-year-old bull as a sacrifice. This, this was more costly to her. This cost her more. Scholars believe that this bull given as a sacrifice is indicative of their gratitude they realize that samuel was a gift from god and so they they bring not a not a lamb not a pigeon not a dove they bring a three-year-old bull as a costly sacrifice and god thank you for what you've done they recognized that samuel was a blessing from god did you know that everything good in your life is a gift from God. Everything. Every blessing, every positive thing, everything in your life that is good is a gift from God's hand. And so when you are blessed, when you count your blessings, recognize who gave you the blessing. Recognize that blessing came from God because here's the deal. 
When we fail to acknowledge God's gracious hand, we dishonor Him. God is dishonored when we fail to realize that our blessings are from Him. Sometimes we think, well, we've earned our blessings. You know, I, you know, I, I work hard for my money. I've earned it. Well, who gave you the job? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sharp. I did good on the job interview. And, 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 and uh, I, I'm in good shape so I could, I could fulfill the requirements of the job. Well, who gave you a heart that beats? Who gave you lungs that breathe? Who gave you a brain that thinks? You see, you can trace back all the good things in your life to the source. And the source is God. And so you've got, you got a decision to make. Either I'm going to recognize that God is good and he's given me these things. Or I'm going to just, just enjoy the blessing but not recognize the source of the blessing. Over in Luke chapter 17, there's an interesting story. Uh, Jesus comes up on a group of lepers. There are ten of them, and you know, leprosy is a horrible disease. It isolates you from society. It disfigures you. It's just a terrible, terrible disease. And the Bible says that Jesus heals them from a distance. I mean, it's a supernatural, miraculous work where these ten lepers are healed and cleansed. Can you imagine the, the joy when your disease is taken away and you can reunite with your family and your friends and you're no longer hurting and in pain? I mean, you are healed from your disease. Well, guess what? Out of ten men who are healed of their leprosy, only one of them stops and says, Wait a minute. Somebody did this for us. And one of the ten goes back to Jesus. The Bible says, falls on his face before him in gratitude. Wow. Only one of the ten stops to say, Thank you. Only one of the ten recognizes the source of the healing, the source of the cleansing, the source of the blessing. So let me ask you a question. Are you more like the one or are you more like the nine? Enjoying your blessings, glad you have them, but just doing your own thing and never stopping to say thank you. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my marriage. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my vehicles. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my clothes. Thank you for my shoes. I've been in places where people didn't have more than one pair of shoes if they had shoes at all in the world. Do you ever slow down to stop and say, God, you are the source of my blessing? Hannah did. I'm going to name him Samuel because I asked of him from the Lord and he gave me a son. This son came from God. Do you recognize the source of your blessings? There's a second thing you need to do with your blessings when God does something good for you or in you. Secondly, you need to take that blessing and place it in God's hands. Place it in God's hands. Look what Hannah does in verse 11. We studied this last week. She's praying for her son Look what she says to God in verse 11. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, watch this, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. So she says, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him dedicate him, consecrate him to the service of the Lord all of his life. And, and his hair is never going to be cut. You say, wait, wow, that's kind of weird. 
Why did she say a razor's never going to touch his head? Well, she was making the Nazarite vow. Over in Numbers chapter 6, God prescribed a certain, uh, certain set of requirements for people that were set apart, dedicated to the service of God. They were called Nazarites, and they would not drink wine or strong drink. They would not allow their hair to be cut. And these were outward symbols that they had been given. They had dedicated their entire lives to serve God. So she's basically saying, if you give me a son, I'll make him a Nazarite. Now, one of the famous examples of a Nazarite in the Bible is Samson. Remember the story of Samson? He was given great strength by God. He was a Nazarite. He did not allow his hair to be cut until Delilah tricked him. And, and Delilah had his hair cut, and God took away his power. Remember that story? She took away his power because he allowed the outward symbol of his consecration uh, to be desecrated. And when his hair was cut, God said, okay, I'll take away your power. Because he was no longer fully dedicated and consecrated to God. And so Hannah here consecrates her expected son to the service of God. She makes that vow in verse 11. And it's highly, highly significant. In the case of Samson in Amos chapter 2 verse 11, one became a Nazarite at God's initiative. But notice here, it's not God's initiative, it's, it's Hannah's initiative. She's saying, if you give me a son... I'll give him back to you, so he'll serve you all the days of his life. That's pretty significant. So, does she follow through? Look what it says in verse 21. By the way, when you make a vow before God, God expects you to follow through. Right? He says, don't enter, enter, don't enter into a vow lightly. If you're going to make a vow, you need, to, you need to count the cost and do what you told God you're going to do. Look what it says in verse 21. The man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, they may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Verse 24, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord. And Shiloh, although the child was young, they slaughtered the bull and she brought the boy to Eli. She said, oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I also, watch this, have dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is dedicated to the Lord. So he said, I'm not just giving him to you for a week, God. I'm not giving him to you for a month. He's yours. The blessing you gave me, I'm placing it back, God, in your hands. You see, when you get blessed, you need to place your blessings in the hands of the one who blessed you. Because here's what you need to understand. We are blessed by God to be a blessing. Don't miss that. We are blessed so we can bless others. Turn over to uh, Psalm 67 very quickly with me. Psalm 67. Psalm 67, the Bible says, God be gracious to us and bless us, cause his face to shine upon us, say law, so that that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth, say law. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Now look in verse 6, the earth has yielded its produce God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that, or so that, 
all the ends of the earth may fear him. Did you hear that? God blesses you with a purpose. God wants us to take our blessings and use them to show the world how great God is. So that people all over the world may know him and fear him and serve him and give him the glory that he deserves. So God blesses you so you can be a blessing to others. God blesses you so you can show people how great the blesser is. So you can show people how great the God is who has been gracious in your life. We are blessed to be a blessing. Don't miss that principle. And here's what that means for you and for me. We should desire to give our blessings back to God so they can be used for kingdom purposes. Hannah takes Samuel, this gift from God. She asked for him. God gave her a son. She takes the son and puts the son back in God's hands. He's yours, God. And what a pattern for us to follow. When God blesses us, we should place our blessings back in his hands so they can be used for kingdom purposes. We need to leverage all that God has given us for the kingdom of God. So think about it like this. You have some blessings in your life, right? You have finances. How's God want to use your finances to do great things in the world, to make his name known, to get the good news of the gospel out? You have abilities. How does God want to use your abilities, your skills, your talents, your personality? To do great things in the world. You have occupations. Across our four services today, we'll have people from, from every background in here. People working in every different field. And if God has given you a job, he's blessed you with a job, how does God want to use you on that job for himself? How does he want to use you to make a difference? Whether you're in education or healthcare, you work for a, a, a big corporation... Maybe you stay home with your children. Maybe you're in school right now. Wherever you are, wherever you're doing right now, how can God use you where you are to make a difference? You know, we're not all preachers, are we? We're not all preachers, are we? Thank the Lord. Preachers are weird. They are. They're weird. It's good we're not all preachers. We couldn't make a difference in the world if we were all preachers. We need to be out there in the world, in the community, on the job, showing people how great God is. Right? So how does God want to use you where he has you to make a difference? One thing I appreciate about Hannah is she realized God had given her a blessing, but God wanted to do something that was bigger than just her. And maybe God's given you air in your lungs, and a heart that beats, and a job, and a car, and a house, because he wants to do something bigger than just you. Maybe he wants to use your life to make a difference in other people's lives. Have you ever thought about that? So you take all the good things God's done, all of the blessings, and you place them back in his hands. I've seen this with the, you know, the Olympics. You see some athletes that have won gold medals and they give glory to God. They're saying, okay, God's given me abilities. He's given me talent and I have this platform now and people all over the world are watching. There's a camera and a microphone in my face and so I'm a believer in Christ. I'm going to give glory to God. God gave me this ability. 
I heard a, a runner last night, a, a young lady that won her third gold medal. She said, I can do nothing without God. Love it. She's a, she's a, a preacher's kid. She grew up as a preacher. And I love preacher's kid success stories. Amen? She's a preacher's kid. And she was just, she was just giving glory to God. That's what she was doing. On worldwide television, she was leverage. Listen, she was leveraging the blessing in her life to show people the greatness of God. Now, listen to me. For you and I to get to this place in life, it's going to take some spiritual maturity. As a matter of fact, if you look there on your notes, we're going to have to hold all of our blessings with an open hand. In other words. We've got to be willing to let God use the blessings in our life. To take them and use them however he wants to. Did you notice back in 1 Samuel, did you notice that before Hannah brought Samuel back to Eli for the service of God, did you notice she weaned him first? This day and time it was customary for women to nurse their children for two to three years. Some scholars believe that because she brought a three-year-old bullet corresponded with Samuel's age. So maybe Samuel's two, maybe three, somewhere along there. But she nursed him, and she weaned him. Now question, do you think Hannah got attached to Samuel during that time? Do you think she loved her baby boy? No question, moms, you know what that's like. Spend that amount of time with your children. She didn't give Samuel to Eli the day he was born. She waited probably two to three years. Then she brought Samuel to the temple. In other words, even though she loved Samuel greatly, she held him with an open hand. And she said, God, he's yours. Maybe you want to do something bigger than just me with this blessing. And you know what? God changed a nation through Samuel's life. All because Hannah held on to her blessing with an open hand. See, what we want to do is we want to take the blessing, grab the blessing, protect the blessing, enjoy the blessing. But Hannah said, God, he's yours. Use my son as long as he lives. He is yours. A Nazarite dedicated to your service. Here's the question. Are you willing to hold on to your blessings, the things that are most near and dear to you with an open hand? You say, God, use this however you want to use it. It takes spiritual maturity to get there. But when a group of people start to talk like that and live like that, it begins to change things. You know, the church in America is a blessed church. Did you know that all of you in this room, all of you, compared to 75% of the world, you are considered filthy rich? So wait, I got, I've got, I've got uh, money problems, and, and I, I live week to week, I live paycheck to paycheck. Well, guess what? Compared to 75% of the world, you are considered filthy rich. I've been to places. If we transported some folks from where I've been and third world nations and, and drop them down and let them see where you live and what you drive and what you wear and what you eat they would be 
amazed at your wealth. We're a blessed people, are we not? We're blessed. And what if American Christians said, God, we're a blessed people. Now we're going to put all this blessing back in your hands. And we want you to use us to make your name great. We want you to use us to spread your glory in this nation and all around the world. It would be dramatic to see God work with a group of Christians that just had open hands. And so what do you do with your blessings? Well, first of all, you recognize the source of your blessings. Secondly, you let them lead, you let them, uh, you give them back to God, you, you hold them with open hand and put them back in God's hands. But third, you let them lead you to worship. You let them lead you to worship. Look what it says in chapter 1, verse 28. Since, uh, Hannah here says, I've dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Now there's some debate who the he is. Is it talking about Samuel maybe? Well, if he was really young, that... That might not fit. Some scholars believe it's referring to Elkanah, her husband, worshiping there before the Lord. Some people believe it refers to Eli, the high priest. He's overwhelmed by this this mother that's giving uh, her son to the Lord, so he worships the Lord there. We don't know exactly what he's talking about, but but we know that worship's taking place. Hannah has brought this bull, this sacrifice. She's brought her son. She's holding on to blessings with an open hand, and worship's happening. People are overcome with what's happening here. And then look what happens in chapter 2, verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said. In verses 1 through 10, we see this prayer of Hannah. Really, it's a song. It's a beautiful piece of Hebrew poetry. She just, it just exalts the Lord. She, she worships. So here's what Hannah does. She, she recognizes God's blessing in her life, and she lets those blessings lead her to the one who blessed her. She, she, she lets those blessings lead her to worship. You know what worship is? Worship is passionate exaltation of God. She's so overwhelmed by God's goodness. She just wants to lift up his name. Look what it says there in verse 1. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My horn means my strength. I'm exalting God. I'm praising God in the midst of my blessings. He's great. And I want to let people know how great he is. And then she says three significant things about God first of all she says God is incomparable you can't compare him to anybody or anything look what it says in verse 1 my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation there is no one holy like the Lord that word holy means set apart it means unique distinct it means that God is a God of total unique moral majesty there's no one holy like the Lord indeed there's no one besides you there's, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are away. She's saying, listen, take God seriously. Don't be arrogant. God is God, and there's no one like him. She's exalting God as she thinks about how God has blessed her. She just wants to re- remind people that God is incomparable. There's no one like him. And then she wants people to know that God's ways are not our ways. Look what it says in verse 4. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. And so 
God puts down the strong and raises up the weak. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. So those who have everything they need, they find themselves going hungry, and yet the, the, the hungry find themselves filled. Even the barren give birth to seven, but she who has many children languages. The, the barren are blessed with children, yet the one who has children is, is, is languishing, is experiencing hardship. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillar of, pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He set the world on them. Here's what she's saying. God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't work like the world works. God loves, listen, God loves to go to the weak and the needy and the hungry and the barren and do something great. Because when God does something great for the weak, it shows his strength. Amen? When God uses the weak of the world to do great things, he confounds the wisdom of the age. So, so she's saying when God works, he works in a totally different way than we would expect him to. He puts down the, the rich and raises up the poor. That's what God does. Because God's wise and God's powerful and God's mighty. And he works totally different than we do. Imagine, God's going, to, God's going to change a nation. He's going to lead them out of spiritual darkness into spiritual light. You know where he starts? He starts with a woman who's barren. That's how God works. He starts with inability and helplessness, and he does something great. That's how God works. She wants people to know God's ways are not our ways. But third and last, she wants people to know that God is at work in the world. Look what it says in verse 9. Of chapter 2. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered against them. He will thunder in the heavens. In other words, God's going to defeat his enemies. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. God's going to set everything right. Just look what it says. And he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Now what's that referring to? He'll give strength to the king. And exalt the horn of his anointed. Is this speaking of the, the monarchy? This is before Israel had a king. And the answer is yes. God, in a few chapters, is going to give them a king. A king named Saul. Then he takes away the kingdom from Saul, gives it to David, and it goes on through David's descendants. So is he talking about King David here? Is he talking about King Saul? Is he talking about King Solomon? Who's he talking about that the Lord will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed? Well, that word anointed is the word Messiah. Do you know that? That's what the word is, Messiah. And it speaks here of his earthly kings. He anoints his earthly kings to do their job, but it's speaking beyond the earthly kingdom of Israel to the king of kings. Because God made a promise to David. He said, David, I'm going to give you descendants, and someone from your descendants will rule forever. I'm going to... I'm going to Raise up a king from your lineage that will be king forever and ever and ever. Now, who's that talking about? It's talking about King Jesus. Through the lineage of David, God sent a Messiah named Jesus. Now, Jesus, after he died on the cross and rose from the dead, reigns, and he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever, right? So when Hannah here talks about God blessing the strength of the king and giving strength to his anointed She's, she's foreshadowing what God's going to do through the monarchy. 
He's going to raise up earthly kings, but one day send the king of kings, King Jesus. King David understood this. Listen to what King David says in 2 Samuel 22. He says, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. David understood the messianic promise. And so even here in this ancient text of history, we see a foreshadowing of King Jesus. Hannah knew God was at work. He was going to judge the nations. He was going to set everything right. And he was going to do something great through a king. King Jesus. She recognizes God is at work. And I believe Hannah understood God was going to use her and use Samuel to fulfill his purposes in the world. Did you know that God is doing something in the world today? And God wants to use us to do it. He's making his name known. He's, he's reigning as king of kings and lord of lords. He's saving people every day. He wants to use us to make his name famous in the world. He's at work. And we need to exalt him and worship him. So notice, the blessings of Hannah lead her to worship God. Can I ask you a question today? Why are you here? Why are you here? Now, there's a lot of different answers that you could give to that question. Say, well, I'm just here because I think that's the thing you ought to do. Or I'm here to check a religious box to say, well, I went to church this week. I'm doing great, aren't I? Why are you here? Can I suggest to you a good reason to be here? What if you came to church every Sunday to worship, listen, because your heart was overflowing at God's goodness in your life. What if the blessings of God drove you to worship? Not just going through the motions. Listen, we got enough religious ritual in our country, don't we? We don't need more religious ritual. We need folks whose hearts are overflowing with love and appreciation for what God has done. And so if you will recognize your blessings during the week, I guarantee you Sunday morning will mean more to you. Amen? So Hannah let her blessings lead her to worship. So count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. It's important to count your blessings, but don't stop there. Recognize the source of your blessings. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Take those blessings, those good things in your life, and hold them with an open hand and put them back in God's hand. Then third, let those blessings drive you, lead you to worship. Let those good things that God does in your life fuel your worship as you exalt Him. Praise His name. Let your neighbors and your co-workers and your family know how good God is to you. That's how you handle God's blessings in your life. Now, can I tell you this? The greatest blessing is not a 401k. 
The greatest blessing is not a house or a car or a change of clothes or electronic devices. The greatest blessing is not a job. The greatest blessing is knowing that your sins are forgiven. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes, Blessed be the God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. If you want to know that your sins are forgiven and you have a relationship with God, you've got to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 